Welcome to Studio One. If you like what you see, like and subscribe and comment. So, how are you? I'm good. I like just woke up. I woke up at ten <laughs> and I was like, "Shit! All right, gonna put on a sparkly shirt. It'll be great." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I caught you at your most、uh, just woke up. So, yeah, know,、uh, emotion. No. Yeah. How are our vaccinations going in Montreal? Well, they started rolling. Like I was like, are vaccines even happening here? Because the rollout <laughs> is so slow. <laughs> like at first, they were just for for elders and and senior groups and like immunocompromised people. I'm neurodivergent, so they're open to like people with neurodivergence and like the framework is intellectual disability, but I. Don't like that term. So anyway,、yeah. I'm getting my vaccine like next week,、um, and then I think they're like rolling out to age groups like week by week after that because they're realizing how much they're、uh, they're not doing well in this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting my shot next week too.、Um, yeah, we started with like super super high risk people, and.、Um, I, I don't like how we're kind of leaving the high like there's high highest risk and then there's high risk. We're kind of leaving people b- behind、uh, in certain like high risk people. Like I don't really have any risk,、mm-hmm. whereas my friend who is high risk or at risk still hasn't gotten an appointment yet. So it's complete.、Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah.、Uh, yeah, that's so weird to me. Like I, I um. You know, I think that they're like yes, prioritize elders and like people who are immunocompromised. But yeah, also like neighborhoods where it's breaking out the most. Like, I don't think that that should be left behind. I think that the vaccine rollout is like a little weird because it's like, like yeah, I have like an like an intellectual disability, but I don't think that that puts me. Necessarily at higher risk. I just booked my vaccine appointment because I was like, I should be vaccinated.、Yeah. <laughs> it only goes so far. I don't know how much I actually stand by it now, but I was like, you know, like we should just take all the people who have been like reckless bros who have just been like the most like careless about any protocol, and we should vaccinate them first because they are a menace to society, and we should like. <laughs> Make sure everybody would just be safer if they were all vaccinated, and then we. Can, but、uh, I don't. I don't know how much I totally believe that, but I also thought like, fuck, it's just so um so tough, so tough, such a tough situation. I think everyone's just frustrated. Yeah, in hate of it. Yeah. Yeah. So on that frustrating note, I'm gonna introduce myself. Okay. <laughs> I'm Mike from Studio One. Uh, we are a Toronto music platform that interviews artists we love who often have diverse backgrounds. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm、uh, I'm Russell Louder, and、uh, I'm a musician and interdisciplinary artist. But music is sort of the main hustle right now. Sweet. So、uh, your upbringing in Charlottetown, surrounding areas, stood out to me a lot.、Uh, I've never really met anyone from there. And all I know about it is from geography class. What、yeah. the? What is it like growing up in Charlottetown? And、uh, there was also the town of eight hundred people. Yeah, yeah. So I started off in the town of eight hundred people.、Um, What's the name of the town?、Uh, O'Leary. O'Leary. I mean, it, I wasn't technically like I think I lived in that town for maybe like 
four years and then we we moved out to the country so I grew up in a place called um called Hebron which was like 20 minutes outside of O'Leary so like ultra rural life which was amazing I loved it growing up in nature like I really dig the the vibe of like running around half naked in a field like that was pretty awesome as a six-year-old um and then uh then when I was about 13 we moved to Charlottetown yeah and um and that was cool um I like I know like I've said like in in bios before that like I sort of like grew up in a family of artists but like it was more like a network because my family isn't really ever in one place so I, I mostly grew up with like either my dad single parenting me or my mom single parenting me and then the rest of my family was sort of like dispersed throughout the world. By the time I was in Charlottetown, it was my mom single parenting me and uh, I found artists in the community and it was really cool. It was like just at a point, like probably when I was like 15, 16, I started just like I wasn't doing well in school and I started taking myself seriously as an artist and I started hanging out with people in the community, like older adults who were just like amazing, beautiful, badass artists. A lot of people kind of took me under their wing and I felt like really embraced. And it was just sort of at a point, like that was, I think 2011. So we were just getting like an artist run center up off the ground and um, called This Town Is Small. <laughs> and uh, so like there was programming happening, there were events happening, there, were, there was like an art festival happening. Um, yeah, so I was just like really keen to, to like get my foot in that door at a young age. Did you also have someone by your side uh, constantly supporting you? There's a lot of cases where um, you, they, someone just needed one person that pushed them along when things were not super great. And uh, is there a case like that? Do you have a support group around you very early on? There have been a few. There have been a few. Yeah, there have been like a few sort of like champions throughout my life that is like not necessarily like, you know, helped me move along the way but like have definitely like just told me what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it and um yeah like really brought a sense of affirmation to my life that I didn't have yeah so there were like a few people that kind of like took me under their wing and then I would like kind of move on and do the thing because like I have I have mixed feelings about mentorship I think that it's um I think that it can be really amazing and then as much as I've had people that have like helped me lift off, I've also had people that have like taken advantage of like my naivety as like a super young artist when I was like 17, 18, 19 and really uh, messed with my head. So I think that like mentorships can be cool. And I think that people in the mentee, is that the word? mentee? The people being mentored, people yeah. in that position should be careful of sharks. Fair enough. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. I can speak from my own experience, but we'll talk about that another day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, just give you a brief like picture. Like I was crying in the kitchenette. My boss thought I lost her dog. Was, that was that. That was like the very yeah. like tangential like a gist of uh, the most memorable moment from working for someone who was in a mentor position. I kind of walked yeah, myself. It's not in even the like I'm disappointed in you. It's like yo, you lost my fucking dog. <laughs> Again, I, I just didn't take my phone, but 
I didn't like the 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 panic afterwards. Like yeah. yeah. So what was your early music like? Uh, what did you first started making? So in like 2015, when I was like 19, I went to Iceland for three-ish months. I was in a really awful place. I was in a really terrible place. I like both literally and emotionally, like I, um, the place I was living, there was just some stuff happening with the roommates. And um, uh, so I just sort of like stayed out of the way and made music. I taught myself how to record and I was just sort of making like these experimental cinematic instrumental pieces uh, based on like characters in my head. And it was based on a character called Blue Romeo, who is like sort of like based off of the archetype of, of Romeo, but like specifically the archetype from Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Ju- Juliet. <laughs> so I was sort of like taking his character and distorting it into a new story. Mm-hmm. As to like this kind of like sad boy archetype and like how twisted that archetype can actually be. And so, yeah, I made like five sort of movements and then I was like sending them to my brother, who's a composer and producer and DJ. And he was like, well, this is like, I can tell that this is in an embryonic state, but um, it's, it's not bad. Like, I'm going to tell you, like, it's, it's genuinely not bad and you could, you should keep doing it. It's cool. Like your conceptual relationship to the work is really cool. Like, blah, blah, blah. He was just like very like objectively encouraging. Like he wasn't going to be like, it's amazing. (laughs) But I mean, that was what, like, I respond well to that. I respond well to like people that are like, no, it's not there yet, but it's really like you're on the right track. Like that I find is like much more helpful than just like compliment bombing. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, then I just sort of kept, kept doing stuff like that. And um, and then I started uh, turning it into pop songs and writing, writing on top of them and like starting to sing again. Uh, Your Twitter is fantastic. My uh, Twitter is fantastic. Thank you. I feel so underappreciated on Twitter. I'm just going to grab a... Um, I feel so underappreciated on Twitter because it's a new platform for me. So when I think of something genuinely funny, I'm like, fuck, nobody. <laughs> I'm before my time. <laughs> no, it'll just take time. The product is good, so... <laughs> May I ask what you like about my Twitter? Yeah, I like how well it was a very easy way to get to know you as a person. So I was yeah. I was looking at it yesterday. I was like, okay, this is this is gonna be fun. Like this yeah. person, like I, I like I like their uh, humor. Like it's it's yeah. uh, really my route. Yeah. So, and mm-hmm. I also like it sometimes educational, sometimes just hilarious, and sometimes both. Yeah, sassy fucking goofball. <laughs> so you mentioned that uh, you use humor to talk about difficult issues. Do you also use it to break tension or uh, cut through pain? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like what, like, when you grow up with humor is sort of a defense mechanism. That's what it is, right? Um, I'm, I'm trying to use it less to cut through tension. Um, Though sometimes it can be really useful. Yeah, I'm trying to use it, like, I use it when, if I was, like, on stage and there was um, a heckler or something. Not so much, like, when I actually feel genuine emotional tension. I'm like, that doesn't actually 
always need to be cut. Um, sometimes that can just be sat through. So I'm kind of like trying to uh, like dial the humor, the humor back a little bit in uh, when it's not necessary. And I think that, yeah, it's also like a really amazing tool to uh, disarm people in order to approach uh, talking about hard stuff. And um, that was sort of, yeah, like the thinking behind the title of the album, because I was struggling with so many names, like just names that were like, so like, I was like, oh, just so cringy. And- um, Well, go, go, give me a couple. Oh God, no, I, I can't, <laughs> so many, but it was like, it was, you know, like, I don't know, teenage pop punk vibes, like, <laughs> like after the rest or something, like, I don't even think <laughs> But it was like that kind of vibe. Like I was like, it's just gotta like sit really well on the mouth. Um, and then uh, yeah, then I came up with with humor because I was like, well, this album is like, I don't quite know how to pinpoint how to make all of these topics that I'm talking about enticing for someone, and that's what a title should do. I think a title should be like a door that opens up the, uh, the listener or the viewer or the reader to, um, to what's happening. And so like the idea of calling the album humor was sort of like a conceptual, like, oh, well maybe that will, will evoke like a sense of curiosity um, uh, that will like make people interested. In, in, in what it is and like kind of come into the album with an open heart. And it's like, it's also a small thing because like ultimately like if the work is good, the work is good, people are gonna like it. But um, uh, yeah, that was, that was just my thinking behind it. I also just like the word. I think it's like short and sweet and uh, humor, yeah. So I also see that you're very in touch with everything happening in your home province. So what's the biggest concern for you on PEI right now? Uh, right now, it's the housing crisis. Um, there's a total lack of uh, regulation on short-term rentals and people cannot find housing. Like coming to Montreal right before the pandemic, my plan was to live part-time in Montreal or in PEI. Mm. And then like the pandemic started and like there was no way I could like afford to go back and, and isolate for two weeks because I, like my current my place in PEI has like nine roommates <laughs> um, so <laughs> I was like mm, no <laughs> and now like I have a partner here too so I was like if we wanted to go back to, to PEI together like even finding a place to short-term rent is like super expensive but then like you know if I wanted to have a place where I lived half the year long term I wouldn't be able to I just would not be able to it would be impossible whereas like I remember even like six years ago wait no yeah about six years ago I had a studio space for 125 dollars a month all included wow no it's happened so fast Mm -hmm. and um yeah, so that's like that's the main thing that's like kind of breaking my heart is like PEI is being like gentrified by people that don't even live there. I know. And a month out of the year. 
So that's really disheartening. You said, yeah, I, you've also mentioned in a previous CBC interview, you uh, you moved pretty much right at the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you at least get to enjoy a week of Montreal? No, because I got sick. I got, um, I have a pinched nerve in my back sometimes. So I had like a, a, a nerve attack or a pinched nerve um, the first week I got here. So I wasn't even, and then it was the pandemic that it was like, oh crap, like I'm inside. Um, Luckily I have a lovely, wonderful partner. So that's fantastic. You know, I was not like touch starved. Um, But yeah, I mean, I had like been to Montreal a bunch of times before, like most of my family is from here. So, uh, you know, I've, I've seen it. It's great. It's not that right now, but um, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm so disappointed in this entire province as a whole. Like, it's hard for me to be like, oh, my God, Montreal's so great when, like, we're being, you know, governed by Legault, who's like, yeah, I'm really, really openly disgusted with how Quebec has been handling COVID protocol. Like, I would have been so game to, like do an ultra lockdown back in winter if it meant like not this <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah because um you know you have your partner in montreal i have a friend who's met someone and now like they're just moving through it super fast in their relationship yeah. is this a case do you think this is a case during lockdown like everyone just life moves faster in relationships Well, I think if lockdown has taught us anything, it's taught us that, like, we don't know shit about time. (laughs) You know, I think it's um, because, yeah, sometimes it's moving really fast. Sometimes it's moving really slow. Um, There's really it's a really um, like we have a really distorted way of gauging it when we don't have each other, each other's physical bodies as a reference Mm -hmm. for that, for how time moves. That being said, like, I, um, yeah, I think that, like, you learn a lot about someone when you are in a fucking quarantine with them, you know, you really get a gauge of, like, where your individual boundaries are at, or lack thereof, and, yeah, like, I know a lot of people who have broken up over the pandemic, as much as I know a lot of people who have fallen in love I was lucky to be like in ultra honeymoon mode during the pandemic so like being trapped in an apartment with my sweetheart was pretty awesome (laughs) but and still continues to be pretty awesome but I think that it's like yeah, everybody, it's it's also kind of messed up because everybody's relationship to safety is really skewed because, like, nobody knows what that is anymore. Like, there's a lot that's just been sort of, like, ripped out from under us. And I think that that in and of itself is a relationship stressor if you're not used to handling stress in your relationship. So I, um, I think that uh, my friend Mila, actually, um, Mila Clark made a documentary called Love in Quarantine. And I think it's it's floating around online, but she did it with like a bunch of, of wonderful people from PEI. And um, I thought that was really interesting because I think that there are also like a lot of people who are like discovering their trends in the pandemic because they're not like having to be around other people misgendering them and other people projecting gender identity onto them. They're like, 
able to sit with themselves and just be like, what? Like, who am I? Like, and I think that's really interesting. During the pandemic was the time that I've been misgendered the least because I was just seeing like my partner and like a couple of friends outside, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, why do I feel so light? (laughs) And like, (laughs) it's the little things. It really hasn't been all bad, but it's also been like awful. Like I hate the pandemic, fuck the pandemic. But also like my life has, um, it really could have been so much worse. So Lisbon Lux, I did a little bit of research. It's a label that I think was started by two partners back in 2013. How did you get your start of uh, your label? So I was in like from 2017 to 20, like the beginning of 2019, I was touring nonstop and not like glamorous touring. Like I was doing like maritime bus tours with uh, public, public transit. And, um, and then I had a drummer and, and he had a van and that was great. But uh, yeah, so I was just constantly touring, constantly touring, constantly touring. In 2018, I like landed back in PEI for, for a music PEI conference, which is like a songwriter's and I, and I had just started to get like pretty good at that point. Like I was, I was good when I started, but I think that just like constantly touring, constantly p- playing shows like that in and of itself is a practice. So I was feeling really confident in like where my voice was at and where, like how my live show worked. I felt like I had really found my, my thing, my groove. And then, yeah, I did this songwriters conference where I was paired with an artist named Steph Copeland, who's really awesome and cool we were like shut into a room to write for two days we had to write two songs and have them written produced mixed mastered by the end of the two days Mm. so it was like crunch time like we just went really hard (laughs) the delegates really liked our shit and it was sort of like a sit down with all these like industry big wigs, which was awesome. There were like people from LA and Vancouver and pretty awesome people. And Julien was one of them. Julien was one of them. And so they sat down and they li- they all listened to our, our songs with the other songwriters. Julien was really interested in the project from then on. And then he saw my live performance and then he was really interested in the project. We just like, I think he bought me a coffee or a beer. He expressed that he was really interested and working with me and Julian is the current like director of this one so I we just kept in touch for like four months we were kind of like sending back and forth negotiations which was a good sign to me one of the worst things that a that a young musician can do in the industry is like rush it rush contracts like if you feel like someone's holding a gun to your head when you're going for a record deal like do not take it do not fucking take it lawyers need time so yeah we signed like uh recording management and publishing deals that all felt really good yeah i've been working with them other ever since it's a team that's like really they super super give a shit about their artists which is not something i don't i don't think i can say that for every indie label because i know some people that go on indie labels and like never hear from them again and that's so messed up but like lisbon lux is like so invested in artist development which i think is really rare now i just feel so deeply supported by that label so you have been uh, compared to Florence, The Machine, and LaRue. Who is your biggest musical influence right now? 
Well, weirdly, neither of those. But then I listened to them and I was like, oh yeah, they're badass. Well, I, I'm a music nerd, so I just have a lot of influences and mostly it's just like single songs that are that are massive influences. I would say like the, the biggest song that influenced humor or maybe album was uh, Mr. Heartbreak by Laurie Anderson. Just in terms of like the sounds, not so much the arrangements or the, the approach to writing. But yeah, it is sort of like otherworldly production was something that really interested me and I've been listening to that album since I was about seven I think right now like what's currently influencing me a lot or like at least what I like I don't know if it'll necessarily influence me but the the new Rasheen Murphy album the Rasheen Machine it's so out of control it's great I want to make something like not necessarily like this but the life that is behind this album is really exciting so I I'm interested in trying to figure out what she was doing you know like I think it's 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 less about like you know like I'm gonna make something that sounds like this or I'm gonna make something that like covers this topic and and more just sort of like what am I implanting into my subconscious here to like run with later when I first listened to your music the first thing I noticed is how hauntingly beautiful your voice is so I was hooked right away and the more I listened to your music the more I really like the uh, bouncy playful synths Mm-hmm. compliment your voice and the more i listen like i listened again last night the better it gets like oh okay hey, everything is just working how long did it take to formulate this recipe hey it's really like i wish it was a recipe <laughs> and that's what's so frustrating about it every time i every time i make a song i feel like i'm um i'm working overtime to crack code like i feel like a, a computer nerd locked in like an iron basement somewhere for the secret agents or something um (laughs) i think it generally it generally starts with like i'm interested in sort of like finding a loop that really works and then i kind of just have that on repeat have that on repeat and then i find like i'm i i sort of branch out that's like the seed and then i branch out from there and then i find other things that like my brain wants to play on repeat that like just feel really good when they hit and then somewhere within that process um a vocal line will come out of it and lyrics too like the song cost of living i think it happened in probably a day i think i was just at home rehearsing and it and it just worked and then i just started playing it at shows and it was like started and it was done like that was like the most linear songwriting process i've ever had working with steph copeland it was it was like that too because it had to be so i'm interested in time limits too because it's I think it's uh, I think it can be really helpful like there's more time to just weed out the bullshit and trust your instincts like right head on whereas having a little more time to faff is great but it can also like be the downfall of a good song yeah so it's like it's like there's no rules for me and also like there are like a lot of like little rules that I that I work with but yeah there's not necessarily a recipe it's just sort of it comes as it does so your music video for home I felt like it perfectly encapsulated a lot of the themes and the tone of your song and many other tracks. How did the video come across? Yeah, I like, I was looking for queer artists to work with and like basically anybody who isn't a straight dude because it was just putting straight dudes in charge of making queer art just doesn't work. (laughs) Um, Or like realizing queer vision, this just doesn't work. Or cis to straight 
people in general. So we found Bobby Leon, who works with a company called Rodeo, a production company called Rodeo. And uh, it was my manager, Alice. Like Julien is my manager, but like Alice is also my manager and she works with the Lisbon Lux team. So Alice found Bobby and asked me if I if I dug her work, which I did. I thought it was awesome. And then Bobby and I had a, had like an internet meeting and it was like we were finishing each other's sentences. There was just a vibe. It was really good. And then we sort of like came up with the general idea or like the energy that we wanted the video to have. And then Bobby brought up a, a treatment for it or a, a pitch for it that was super simple. Uh, which was what I wanted. Like I've done narrative videos before and they don't work. Unless you've got like a $100,000 budget. Mm -hmm. Generally for, for my music, they don't work. I'm more interested in like having something that that's just like there and it's beautiful and can like also maybe played on a dance floor. So that was that was what Bobby came up with in the editing process. It was really cool. Like they invited me to the editing room a couple of times, which was awesome. I felt really like respected and safe on set. They like worked with awesome people. It was a really small crew and we were outside pretty much all day. I think it got down to minus 21, like the warmest point of the day, but it was sunny. So it felt fine, but we were freezing. Everybody was like, just so lovely and easy to work with. And it was awesome. And I would do it again. I would do it again. So now that Humor, your debut album has came out for a couple of months now, how are you feeling about the reception and what have you learned from releasing a debut album? Well, it's weird to release a debut album in the pandemic, isn't it? I don't know what the reception is like. I haven't been able to play a show. I haven't been able to see who, I mean, that's going to change. I have a show coming up on May 27th. I've been feeling good about the reception and the attention that it has been getting. It's like, it's not too overwhelming, which is nice. It's not something I pay a ton of attention to. Like in the past, like once a single has been out, I sort of like turn my phone off. Like I like have all this, the posts sort of pre-scheduled and then I'm, I'm out. And that's not that I'm not grateful for people loving it or you know any press attention it gets it's just it's like a self-preservation thing I feel like compliments and criticism are like equally detrimental to me <laughs> yeah they're not real it's not real it doesn't it doesn't matter and I mean it doesn't mean I'm not grateful when someone loves the album or say they connect to the album but that's their experience that's got nothing to do with me I made a cookie for them <laughs> you know yeah. that might come across as like an ungrateful way of looking at it but I don't I don't see it that way I see it as like I have made this thing it's out in the world I love it I'm happy with it. And like my relationship to, to that work is sort of like a sacred, like I do look at that work as like a living, breathing thing that's doing its own thing now. I love it deeply. And I also have to be okay with the fact that like other people are going to love it deeply in ways that are different from mine. <laughs> it's um, very like queer poly. Um <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I like I'm I'm overall like content with the way that it's being received and I'm really happy and grateful for the work that my team is doing and for the fact that I get to play a show at the end of the month. That's going to be just a private live stream show, but still it's mm -hmm. going to be beautiful. I'm so grateful that I get to like breathe new life into this music with other musicians. Like that's so exciting to me. 
you mentioned that you yeah you were on tour a lot for several years which tour was your most memorable one it's all a blur it's all really just such a blur but probably just like my first one because it wasn't supposed to be a tour i got invited to play flourish festival which is in fredericton new brunswick having never played a show before in my life i got an offer to play one of their their main shows and i was like shit that looks like fun <laughs> and i was supposed to go to art school like that week like i was supposed to go to berlin that week <laughs> and i was like I don't think I'm going to go to Berlin. I think I want to play some shows. So I, I, um, I played this, I played this show at, um, a flourish festival. And then I got an offer to play a show in St. John, not for the East coast music week. It was like one of the, the, the no cases, like there are like industry showcases. And then a lot of people have like no cases in different parts of the city. So I got invited to play a no case, which was like at a faux place. They were just like super down to have us. So I was like, that's cool. It was really fun. And then I, and then I played another show somewhere else, but it was like a tour that, that, that wasn't supposed to be a tour. Like I was fully just ready to go to Fredericton and go home. But then I like got in a car with my friends, went and played this fucking show in St. John then went to another place and then went home and played a show. So it was like, it was a mini tour, but it was still a tour and it was still really exciting to me. It was like, I was seeing... I was like, oh shit, like I can just do this. I can like plan this and do this even better. And I was meeting so many friends and like the music communities in, in New Brunswick are so amazing. Like, the, like just so deeply supportive. Probably one of my like top three favorite places to play in the world. They're like really, people show up and they're jazzed. In the, this might be a little intimate, but in the recent years, I've started asking myself about my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Some of my friends as well. Maybe me and my friends haven't realized who we truly are yet, and we're still in the process of figuring it out. If we can talk about this, how, what was your transition journey like? I've pretty much always been traversing the gender binary since I was a little kid. I was like definitely more sort of like masculine presenting as a kid. I had a a short haircut. I wanted to wear a tie at the Christmas concert. I wanted to shave in the morning. I wanted to pee standing up. I felt more myself in alignment with masculinity at that point or like with more like sort of like what had been expressed to me as masculinity at that point. And then yeah, like as puberty sort of came on, I was like, oh shit, okay, I guess I gotta be a girl now. I did that and it was tragic. I was really bad at it because it wasn't me. And then high school, I was able to sort of like butch up a little bit because uh, I came out as queer and I felt like it was safe for me to do that, even though there wasn't like an immense amount of support per se. Yeah. And then around like 18, 19, I started to realize that there was something a little different about the way I viewed myself in terms of gender. And then like when I was 19, I went to New York. People said, what are your pronouns? And no one had ever asked me that before. And I said, oh, well, like she and they. And then everybody just started referring to me with like they pronouns, but I was okay with that. I was super okay with that. And it felt really good. I was like, shit, okay, I guess these are like my fucking pronouns now. And I guess I'm non-binary. I found like the language click. It wasn't like I found out who I was. I knew who I was, but then I had language to line that up a little better. I don't know if it if it encapsulates everything because it's like, I don't think that gender is one thing. I think it's a total enigma relationship for everybody. 
Like, I think that there are as many genders as there are people in the world. That's just my personal take on it. It's not right or wrong. It's just how I how I see the world. And uh, yeah, then I just started like, then I came back to PEI and it was like 2015 at that point. The conversation was obviously not started there at all. I was sort of like me and another person who was also starting to come to terms with being non-binary, started hanging out a bunch and became really good friends at the time and uh, started sort of like, having those conversations with a lot of people on PEI like a lot of like a lot of the the like gender activism work <laughs> is like just telling people who you are which brings a lot of emotional labor it's not like easy stuff to do then like that turned into like some healthcare activism because at the time like PEI didn't really have a solid policy for providing affirming care for transgender people who needed to go access services off island like people who needed like top surgery they were like well we provide top surgery on the island but they were just literally performing double mastectomies so they didn't know what top surgery was as opposed to like chest masculinization so there was a lot of that a lot of that journey was defined by like advocating in my in my hometown it was quite lonely it was quite lonely in a lot of ways because the queer community is really small in PEI. I have some pals, some like really solid pals in that community, but also a lot of like the only thing I had in common with a lot of the queers in that community was that I was queer, which is amazing and beautiful and, and definitely a bonding point. I was really in need of something else. So I moved away for a little bit. <laughs> and I toured like six months out of the year. So that was sort of like the general thing. It wasn't so much like, I'm this now. It's like, oh, I've always been this. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm finding out about it. There are a lot of people who have also always been this. How is your family? Uh, have they always been supportive? My brother and sister are, and my cousin are super supportive. I'm not in touch with a whole lot of my family, to be honest. It's tough because I think that like when a lot of queer people actually experience this, which is like, people in their family saying they're supportive and then proceeding to misgender and dead name their kids all the time. So it's like, I want to say that my my overall family is supportive because they're like supportive of the idea of it. But in like lived experience, I it, it is a struggle. And it's like, it's getting better. It's like slowly, like they're not like secretly wishing that I wasn't trans. At least I fucking hope not. It's, it's a work in progress and it's really hard to call it out um, or call it in because it brings into question all these like, but I love you, but like, you know, you're my kid or like, you're my sibling or like, you're my cousin and I've known you your whole life. And it's like, well, yeah, you have, but I think, and I I think this is also universal, right? Because like a lot of people struggle growing up with a family and then shedding that skin of like what's been projected onto them, right? Like, I don't think that that is just like a gender specific experience. I think that a lot of people deal with that on many levels of living so it's like it's really not as bad as it could be but it's not like I'm not gonna lie and say like oh everyone's amazing because it's it's not it's like really hard to talk to some people in my family because that part of me doesn't feel affirmed and therefore I don't feel safe to share what's actually like going on in my life but it's better than it was like three or four years ago or five years ago it's been about six years since I like I've been affirmative about my my pronouns and my identity and who I am and so yeah it's a slow slow burn you mentioned before in the CBC interview again uh that you wanted to go back to PEI in the summer how's that looking right now uh, I'm trying 
I'm really trying. I'm going to be vaccined. My partner's going to be vaccined. Most of PEI, I think, is going to be vaccined by July because they've been really on it. So I don't know how that's going to affect like what we need to do. Basically, I'm just trying to find a place to quarantine for two weeks, finding a place to stay after that's done. So it's a lot of like travel logistics times 10 because you've got to be so on the ball about where you're staying. Like I would want to quarantine for two weeks anyway, but they're really like strict. Like they're like, okay, you have to find a place to quarantine. Um, you have to have a plan for someone to bring you food. You've got to like, well, like you've got to have all of that in order before you even cross the cross the bridge. So yeah, and also like the like Halifax has had a huge breakout in cases. So just sort of taking it as it is and uh, hoping that we can hoping that we can go down because I really miss PEI. I've got like skin hunger for the ocean. Yeah, I really, I, I'm deeply like an island kid at heart. That's home. Creatively, what are you working on next? What are you working on right now? Uh, well, I just started a scoring project, which is really exciting. I'm so into it. Um, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I've, I've done it like for like visual artists, visual artists before for like video installation work. Um, but I'm going to be scoring a little sort of mini documentary. And then I am I'm working on new music, which is exciting. I am getting back into the swing of my visual art practice, which I've left for about four years gardening a lot like seriously like my goal is to turn this room into a jungle by the time it's done there's already some like I'm also just like trying to stay healthy and like stay uh not crawling out of my skin during this pandemic curfew time it's really nice to meet you and uh like it was really easy to talk to you yeah it's really glad to learn about you know different concepts and ideas from you and uh I've only really got to know uh one trans person and they were fantastic like so kind like it was such a good way to we're a good breed (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully uh you know we can like uh keep in touch and uh hopefully you get to see the island soon yeah let's hope so thank you so much russell likewise thank you lovely time yeah lovely time okay bye